Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Episode number two, Doc Jock, here on the Fantasy Sports Network. My name is Greg Sussman, joined as always by the doctor, Mitchell Roslin. What's going on, Doc? It's great to be here uh, again. And since we last spoke, a lot of things have happened. The Browns have won a football game. How about that? Tigers won a golf tournament. How about that? I mean, it's been five years, even though it was 30 people FedEx tournament. And what's amazing is how... Wins a win. Tiger transcends... You know, we were talking about this with baseball and Derek Jeter and how Tiger just transcends the front page of the newspaper. If you go down the street, people who can't name one golfer wouldn't know Jordan Spieth from Kevin Durant, okay? No Tiger Woods. Absolutely. And, I, and it's been a wild ride, no doubt, for Tiger Woods. And given all the trials and tribulations and given what he's gone through health-wise, we thought it'd be great to, to bring on another doctor, a surgeon, to come on and discuss with us. Yeah, one of my... Colleagues, uh, one of the best young orthopedic surgeons and spine surgeons in the country, John Oren. Um, and I wanted to, to really get John's input because there's a lot of spine in the news. Uh, a know, lot of spine in the news. A lot of spine in the news. David Wright, retirement. Absolutely. Friday, um, I mean, Saturday and, and Tiger Woods having four back operations and now with a fusion winning a tournament. And with that, we'll bring on Dr. John Oren. Doc, welcome to the program. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. As we said at the top, Tiger Woods wins his first tournament in seemingly forever. He's had back surgery after back surgery, and you felt like he was close all season long. He finally pulled it off this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's really incredible to watch as a fan, as a spine surgeon, just watching him come back. You know, you thought he was basically done for the career. Uh, after three back operations, he's having a spinal fusion, uh, which is an injury that no one has ever come back from. Uh, and he did it. It's really incredible. Incredible to watch. John, if you saw him in the office, and let's say I'm a recreational golfer complaining of pain and, and similar, and you said the, the next line is a fusion, you failed lumpectomy, disectomy. What would you tell him you know, his likely outcome is? What is his lifestyle going to be? You know, we, we typically do these operations as pain-relieving operations for quality of life, not for return to sport. Um, you know, when you talk about fusion, especially for a golfer, there is some limitation of motion. It's not tremendous, but for a rotational athlete, fusing the base of their spine to the sacrum, uh, which is part of your pelvis, you're going to lose some of your rotation. Um, and it also puts extra stress on the other discs. So we, we talk about having these operations. You can go back to recreational golf, but you know, having the swing velocity that Tiger Woods has and trying to come back at an elite level is something that we just haven't seen. Uh, but you know, if you came to my office and said you wanted to have this operation, and, and that's what we felt you needed, um, you could certainly go back and play golf. Um, but, you know, I, I think the question is, 
for most people without this type of, you know, physique and rehab program and team around them, you know, the likelihood that you're going to have this kind of result is, is not so high. Mitch, let me throw this to you because I almost feel like, and, and as you said, we heard just how serious it was um, from Dr. Orrin a moment ago. But I almost feel like what Tiger has gone through health-wise has gone overlooked, right? Like, given all the details in his personal life and his divorce and his scandals and whatnot, his DUI, nobody, in my estimation, realizes what he has gone through health-wise to just get back to playing golf and then playing golf at the level that he is, which makes Sunday's win all the more impressive. Well, you know, it's really, really interesting. Take a step back in, 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 in society and you've been look at people who are geniuses. Do they wind up as the smartest person in your high school class wind sure. up being the most successful? Not always. Actually, usually not because they're scared to take a risk. I mean, this has been studied for a long, long time. And what's really incredible is Tiger was a child prodigy. I mean, they showed him hitting the golf ball at four. He was always on top. And usually once people who are used to being on top fail, it's very, very hard for them to come back. It really, really is. And it's very unusual because it's a different type of personality. They never doubted themselves. They never had that wonder. They never faced failure. And the fact that he can come back and actually have risk failing in front of millions and millions of people, I mean, says an awful lot about his his character, and, and it's really an amazing th story. John, quick question for you. You know, we had three previous back operations. Why not go to fusion earlier? Um, I think part of it is the fear of what would happen to a golfer. I mean, people have come back from a microdiscectomy, which is what he had three times. That's basically taking a fragment of disc away from a nerve to relieve nerve pain. Um, typically in our practice, it's a three strikes you're out policy. So, you know, you herniate your disc once, we'll take it out. Herniate a second time, we'll take the fragment out. You herniate a third time, three strikes you're out, you get a fusion. For an elite level golfer, elite level athlete, there's a lot of trepidation in terms of, you know, taking that sort of permanent step. There's no coming back from a fusion. Similar to an athlete with their knee, you see a lot of guys doing microfracture procedures and cleanup procedures around their knee. You don't see them getting radical stem cell cartilage treatments because there's no coming back from that. There's no bailout. Um, this is the salvage for him, and so that's that's the reticence. What you know when you talk about microdiscectomy micro and uh, laminectomy, a disectomy, microdiscectomies. Right now, I want to bring up. An, wait, 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 wait. What are these ectomies? What, what are you? What are these ectomies okay. you're referring to? Basically, Please. A, mi a microdiscectomy means that somebody like John is just taking the disc out. It's impinging on the nerve okay. to relieve pain. Right. And John will explain this better. But the problem with people like Tiger Woods is that the nerves get impinged because of the loss of disc hiked. So when he actually fuses the spine, he's actually reestablishing the disc hiked. When he's taking out, doing a microdiscectomy, he's taking out the small portion of the disc that's leaning on the nerve. But I wanted to ask where microdiscectomy was in the news was around the NBA draft, and we're all Knicks fans, and everybody was screaming when the Knicks took Knox, and, and I actually think that's a pretty good pick, and we can talk about that as the season gets closer. They passed on Michael Porter. Michael Porter is 20 years old. He's already had his second disectomy. If 
Greg is the GM of the Knicks. I'm his medical advisor. What, you, what would you be telling us? Should we be picking him or should we be staying far away? You know, it's hard to pass on a 19-year-old kid who's seven feet tall, can dribble, can shoot the three, can jump out of the gym. But With two know, back operations. I, I would pass at, at, at the Knicks position. I don't think it was worth the risk. I think that there, he has a great chance of overcoming this. Um, but, you know, when you think about a franchise that needs to hit on every pick, um, this is their shot to, to get that young core together. I think, you know, swinging and missing on Michael Porter is going gonna, is gonna to hurt long term. And so I don't think it was worth the risk. I, I think they made a great selection. Saturday, City Field is going to be sold out for David Wright Day. And David Wright was 31 years old, um, was on the verge of an MVP career, obviously has worked as hard as you possibly can to come back. Is his spinal stenosis a congenital condition? Was this something that just progressed? And why, with all of the great advances that we have in spine surgery today, weren't we able to get David Wright back on the field? I know people equate it to Don Mattingly, but you know a lot of things have changed in, in the interim. Yeah, I, I, if I remember, David Wright had a stress fracture in his back. Um, and the stress fracture is probably something he developed as an adolescent. Uh, became a problem for him in his 20s. Um, they tried to rehab it, inject him, all sorts of things to get him through it. I think they ultimately did a surgery to repair the fracture. Um, they may have fused him, I can't remember, um, from you know the, the news reports that come through are a little spotty on the details. You know, they usually just say someone had back surgery. Um, you know, if he had a back fusion operation or a, or a repair of this fracture, um, either way, there's a compromise of that bottom disc and that bottom level and the motion at that area. Um, and it's hard to be a rotational athlete. It's hard to swing a bat. That's what I think makes, you know, Tiger Woods' is, is recovery uh, all the more remarkable is, you know, they don't play that so much different of a position in that sense. You know, they rely on rotational strength to hit a golf ball or hit a baseball. It's not so different other than, you know, one's coming 90 miles an hour at you. Um, but you look at like the, the shape of Tiger Woods when he was in Stanford, he was pound for pound, the strongest athlete on campus as a freshman. You know, this guy is just a, another sort of specimen that, golf has never seen and 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 you look at other sports and, and these guys dominate i think he would have been amazing whatever he did while we have you before before you go um we all saw jimmy garoppolo's injury we saw the knee become unstable basically the rotational force and we know he should have gone out of bounds but that's a whole different story um yet it, it's a non-contact injury same thing with Darrell revis we all watch that. Is there anything that can be done to prevent those type of injuries? Um, you see the linemen with braces and things like that. Well, I want to kind of follow up because, as you said, he should have went out of bounds and, and should have avoided this. But he, he takes a bad step. And as you said, Mitch, it's a bad step and the knee goes the way it should and, and ultimately tears his ACL. It, if he goes out of bounds, maybe he doesn't. But to me, it's like, all right, maybe the next play. He, he does. It, was he, is it on the verge of just snapping like that? Or was it particularly that bad step, Doc, that caused it to go? You know, we don't, we don't really know. Um, I think that those steps, um, 
you know, it, it's this sudden motion. It's this sort of firing of the muscles in one way and the knee going in the other way that just rips the tendon or rips the ligament rather. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's a skill to, you know, being injured and not injured. There's, you know, there's a there's certain bodies that just don't get ACL tears and don't get injury after injury and after injury. Um, and we don't know how, how to really prevent these things. There are ACL braces uh, that the linemen wear. There's some evidence to, sh to say that it works, but you're not going to put that on a mobile quarterback. You're not going to put that on a running back. You put it on a lineman that, that's a straightforward, you know, stand-up guy, and that, that really just prevents him from getting chopped from the side. Um, it's not really going to prevent him from, a, you know, from running out of the pocket and taking a misstep. Greg, to follow up, yeah, you know, whereas, for example, ACLs, unless it's somebody who steps on it, is usually a wear and tear injury that you see as athletes go get older. Right. The ACL, I mean, we have an epidemic of ACL injuries. 35 in, thus far in the NFL this it, season. Well, forget about the NFL. In female athletes, and that's what John was talking about, training and neuromuscular training, but the rate of female Division One athletes in soccer and in basketball that tear their ACLs, that have clean tears. A lot of people think it's the width of the pelvis, the anatomy of the female. It's really epidemic that young female athletes are being trained to jump and pivot differently to try to avoid this. But, and it's just a clean tear, and there's no pre-existing condition. It's not like a football player's knee that's taken wear and tear. So the answer is it can be just that one step. Amazing. And is there any way, uh, either of the doctors I'm with, is there any way that, specifically football players, because that's where we're seeing it most clearly to everybody, um, is there a way to avoid it? Because we see so many every year. We're on par for like 50 this year. Well, it's really interesting, and John will comment, we always talk about you know, physical strength and building up the muscles and basically doing the rehab that you do to build up the knee because the muscle provides stability. Right. But yet... On the other hand, when we look at other ligament injuries, for example, like Tommy John injuries, we've never seen that many until people were throwing, throwing as fast. Sure. So it's possible that we're able to develop our muscles to beyond what you know, we normally have evolved to, unless you're a freak of nature, and the ligaments that hold our bones together. So let's go back. Basically, you have two bones in, in, or that surround the knee that... You know, the, the femur and the tibia, that's what the ACL connects, and obviously the tibia is a little bit lower down, and you just get a rotational force of those two bones that exceeds what that ligament can handle. And it's hard, and the reason it takes a year to come back from it is because even though surgeons like John repair it, it has to become vascularized, and it has to grow in, and ligaments don't have a great blood supply, and that's where probably future generations of medicine will be directed. John, any final comments? No, I think, you know, uh, the ACLs have come a long way. The, the reconstructions are just so much better now. You, know, you look at, like, Joe Namath back, you know, when, uh, when he had his ACL to, to Jimmy Garoppolo now. You know, the prognosis is much, much better. Um, it's really just a matter of what else he tore in his knee. If he just tore his ACL, which is like what Adrian Peterson had, you know, you can come back with, with really no problem. Uh, as long as the cartilage is okay in his knee and, and, and the supporting structures around, you know, he'll be out for the year, but he should come back with no problem. While you mentioned Joe Namath, Willie Namath, it, I think it's a great place to point that both John and I 
practice at Lenox Hill Hospital, where James Nicholas actually founded the career of sports medicine with Joe Namath. And actually, the braces that linemen use are several generations removed of the first brace that was designed by Dr. Nicholas. John, thank you, and we'll see you next week on Doc Jock. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. There you go, Dr. John Orr. We appreciate, of course, uh, the time with the doctor. Um, and, and Mitch, let's get, let's get it's really interesting, uh, finishing up the ACL conversation, that everyone is just bigger, stronger, faster, and that counts, accounts for both the offensive player and certainly the defensive player um, attacking and, and ultimately hitting them. Yeah, but, but that's only one point to the injuries. You see sure. Darrell Rivas. Absolutely. Deshaun Watson was a non-contact injury. No question about it. Now, Wentz, as I remember, was going into the goal line and, and was... Well, he was converged on by three three yeah. big dudes. You know, going in and, and a different type of injury. Right. Interestingly enough, and, and again, we don't have the MRI results. Yeah. Usually the kind of standing, like, pivoting type injuries tend to be clean ACL tears. Yeah. And they don't really have as much other ligament damage and stuff like that as, you know, the Carson uh, Palmer-type injury. MCL, PCL, yeah, everything and in there. And stuff like that. And, and obviously the, the status of the cartridge is really, really important. As, you know, we watched Deshaun Watson. He didn't really have a hard time running around against the Giants yesterday. No, Deshaun Watson looks all the way healthy, and that's what uh, Dr. Orton was saying, that you come, it's clean tear. You come back in the year, and, and, and you're good. You're, you're good to go. And Deshaun Watson was good to go, uh, constantly circling around the pocket. And even when their offensive line was allowing a ton of pressure and the Giants were able to get to the quarterback yesterday, he was evasive. He was elusive. He was able to move around the pocket and create something that we called out last Monday night that Eli Manning was unable to do. And yet the game plan for the Giants on Sunday was constantly moving Eli around. It was bootleg after bootleg after bootleg, just shifting the pocket and, and trying to create something that had not been there the first two weeks. Clearly the Giants were successful with that. Well, so, so the Giants won, okay, and Eli was... Excellent. Excellent. 25 out of 29. Yep. 300, nearly 300 yards, mm-hmm. no turnovers. So were we wrong, or did you see the same thing that, that, I, that I saw? Well, I, I don't think we were wrong at all. I think it was clear that every time J.J. Watt got there, Eli goes down. And you watch quarterback after quarterback, just their ability to move around, Deshaun Watson being a prime example, and just create a little bit more is the name of the game. Not that I want to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but like it was all about movement. So when they got there, Eli went down. But when they start him on the run, it was a little bit easier for Eli to get something off. Well, and, and the Giants had to be, first of all, you know, Solder seemed to have played a very, very good game because we didn't see the pressure coming from the blind side. You know, we saw, obviously... Yeah, Genevieve yeah, Clowney was nothing yesterday. You didn't even hear, hear his name. I, I, I don't even know if he played, to be honest. Um, Eli was nearly perfect, but the Giants won the turnover battle, okay? And in that fourth quarter before that last drive, who felt secure <laughs> watching that game? I did it. I was waiting for the Giants to go three and out and give the Texans a chance to win the game, 100%. But, you know, it, it's another interesting conversation. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was quoted as saying when they traded for Garoppolo and unfortunately he's gone for the season, that there's not 32 people capable of... Right. playing quarterback in the NFL. And here where we kind of try on fantasy sports to be ahead of the next trend instead of being following the trend, do you think that trend's changing? I mean, obviously, when you had people like Jake Locker coming into the league and Lane Gabbard, who may have resurrected his career as a backup quarterback, 
there was a paucity of quarterbacks. But it seems like we're getting a lot of people playing very quickly over the last couple of years. And maybe the pro game and the college game and even to some extent the high school game is becoming more similar. I don't, I don't, I don't, so I don't think so. I think we, we said that about, what, 10, 5, 10 years ago with RG3 and all the running quarterbacks that were coming in the NFL, and they all struggled. And some remain, like the Russell Wilsons of the world were able to um, kind of survive it. But we're certainly going to almost a hybrid of that, right? I, like, agree, I agree with that, but I'm yeah. just saying more people coming into the NFL are ready to being, play, being successful sooner. I mean, Pat Mahomes. Second, second year, lighting the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Goff looks terrific. So we, in the last, in, this year, we've introduced, an, an interesting, we, let's start with Baker Mayfield yep. the other night. And, you know, that's an interesting thing because we, we, we said that you have to have a hybrid. You have to have analytics. Yeah. I would tend to think at the quarterback position, the eye test is important because they have the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. So you and I evaluating offensive linemen, I think Solder played a great game because I never heard Clowney's name. Right. Okay. If you know the offensive lineman's name, that's sometimes a worrisome sign. But the eye test where everybody was raving about Donald after the first game in Detroit, Mm -hmm. Thursday night, Donald looked just like the same quarterback at USC. Sure. And Mayfield looked like the same quarterback at Oklahoma. Yeah. And and I think that now I think quarterbacks – they always find a way to, to play in the NFL, and some will look good, and some will look bad. I don't know that there's more now than ever before, but I'll, but I'll say this. I think the skills that they had in college that once were not loved or obsessed over by the NFL, that's obviously changed. And we go back to this elusivity again, and this escapability again. And that is what Darnold and Mayfield have shown in the NFL and in college. What will be interesting is a guy like Josh Allen, who set the world on fire yesterday, going to Minnesota and winning. He didn't have that escapability in college. Now, he's a huge dude that is built like Cam Newton in a way. Josh Rosen, not known for that escapability. I want to see if they can be successful in today's NFL. Because they're your more, in my opinion, prototypical, atypical quarterback, right? You stand in the pocket and you throw. Well, I think Josh Allen, I mean, did you watch him hurdle? That, oh, that, that was, was incredible. I mean, you know, it's like people, are, you know what's so funny is, is, is they're saying Garoppolo should have gone out of bounds. Right. But, but it's great well, that Josh right, Allen decided right. to be, uh, you know, a, 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 a high hurdle. You know, like, um, what's his name from years ago? It, it's just amazing. He won't last long in the NFL, but I think he's the prototypical athlete. What I think is really, really interesting is that, you used to hear, well, he's going to take nine years to develop because he never took a snap on the center. Sure. The most successful offenses in the NFL are badly taking snaps on the center. Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Rams, the game is evolving in that sense. So let me almost take that a step further because you do hear that all the time, particularly with a guy like Pat Mahomes, who uh, in college, never, ever, ever. And we had heard that with a lot of quarterbacks coming from spread offenses, West Virginia, uh, Texas Tech under Mike Leach, Washington State under Mike Leach, um, having an inability to play quarterback in the NFL. But isn't a lot of that now just on the coaching, right? Like Andy Reid said, this is my guy. This guy is uber talented. I'm going to get the most out of my quarterback. And I don't care if he's in an I formation or in shotgun. I'm going to be able to do it the way that is best for my team. And we have seen Andy Reid with prototypical quarterbacks, and we've seen him with Michael Vick-type quarterbacks and be very, very successful. Now, you look at what Sean McVay has done in L.A., 
And he did what Jeff Fisher clearly unable to do, adapt to the quarterback he has. Here's my quarterback. He is talented at this. I'm going to get the most out of him. As a Giants fan, you could look at Ben McAdoo, who was stubborn as all hell, and was like, this is the system that works. I'm going to make Eli do what I want, and clearly it doesn't work. Pat Shermer tried that for two weeks, didn't work, and now in week three, he changed it. To me, it's the coaches that are able to adapt that deserve a ton of credit here. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, but I also think we're getting into an evolution where that the NFL game is going to be taking some from the college game and the spread. Yes, certainly. And, and you know, we used to hear that Big 12 quarterbacks couldn't, couldn't play. I mean, M- M- Bryce Petty is a big difference from Baker Mayfield and, and Pat Mahomes. No doubt about it. Okay? I, I don't think the, the Big 12 quarterback you know, is going to have a huge issue. But that matter is the USC quarterback, If and, and, and I can't figure out this, absolutely no way that the struggles of Mark Sanchez have anything to do with Sam Donnell. Of course that, not. That is like the dumbest thing that I've ever heard people say. <laughs> nothing it, to do with it. It can nothing to do with it. So the fact that he went to USC means, 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 that, Scott, yeah. means, means absolutely nothing. But I think that it's, it's – I think the pro game is going to go into a more spread things, and I think that people are going to run – and I don't think this is like the Wildcat, like where it was hot for a, a week. I think that spreading the field out, as well as having a strong middle, is something that you're going to see. And I think you're going to see more and more people being in these pistol formations all the time. Well, I think, we, and I think we've seen that. I think we've seen that how just successful the read option is. And that certainly comes directly from college. And I remember, see, I remember seeing it, and I'll, I'll never forget this, in RG3's rookie year. It was Kyle Shanahan, it was Mike Shanahan, and they had, he had a running back next to him, he had a running back behind him, he had like a wide receiver to his left, I'm just like, what the hell are they going to do? And it was unstoppable, because you didn't know where it was going. And that is what makes Russell Wilson and Cam Newton and so many of the uh, newer quarterbacks and the newer offenses in the NFL so incredible. Uh, Dak Prescott, because you don't know where the ball is going. And though the... Maybe it's going to be that the quarterbacks come in will never be able to throw the ball into the seam right. like Kurt Warner or Phil Simms. Right. You know, Phil Simms really, you know, can that matter? And for that matter, Eli throws the, the sure. strength very, very well. Patrick Mahomes can do both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't make a difference because their windows are bigger because of the spread. Right. And they can find the soft spot in the zone. Or, exactly. And if you play man-to-man, just remember Colin Kaepernick against the Green Bay Packers. He ran with the, you know, their, right through their back. Absolutely. And I have even a more recent example, the man-to-man. So yesterday in that Giants game, they played, the Texans played a lot of zone, and they kind of picked it apart, the Giants. But on certain plays, they were man-to-man. And I watched a, a Brian Baldinger breakdown of this uh, earlier this afternoon. And Eli's in shotgun, and it's man-to-man on Odell Beckham. He crosses the formation. You know, he, a guy goes with him, so he knows it's man-to-man. And Odell does the same play that every single NFL team runs, just a slant, right? They had two guys slanting one way. Odell slanted the other way. Odell catches the ball, and he's gone. And that is the play in the NFL along with the read option. He's just crossing slants, and then you just let the athletic wide receiver do his thing. And Odell Beckham ran for 40 yards down the right sideline. And there's, there's one other thing. The Giants won that game on the single play to Barkley mm-hmm. going down this thing. And I think that's one of the, the things that he's a matchup nightmare. You Correct. can put him anywhere. He is a, a, a special player. I think in the afternoon game that I saw, Gurley's also a special player, a little bit different. And I wonder 
Everybody talks about value and, and things like that. Maybe, maybe the NFL is going to follow fantasy where these people become <laughs> the more valuable player because there's no one wants to talk about it, but at the draft last year, people said the Giants should take the quarterback and take Sonny Michelle in the second round. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know about the quarterback argument. It take years to see, but Sonny Michelle in the second round compared to Barkley, there's a much bigger difference between Barkley and Sonny Michelle then there is going to be the first and third quarterback, in my opinion. Well, so I don't know about that. And so the question becomes how valuable the running back position is. We talked a little bit about this last week. And that, yeah, you're right. The difference between Saquon Barkley and Sonny Michelle or Darius Geis, which we don't know, he's towards ACL, is massive. Saquon Barkley has lived up to every expectation through the first three weeks of the season. But how far can the Giants go with a 37, 38-year-old quarterback? Different, different question. Again, different question. They, they may need to find... They're, they're going to need to, to find. find. They need to find their, 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 you know, but could you imagine Deshaun Watson playing with a guy like Barkley? Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. I mean, could you imagine somebody who could move playing with Barkley and Beckham? And Odell, sure. I, I mean, it would be fun to see. Right, but they need that guy, and it's they, hard to find. Uh, well, that's my question to you. Is it is, so hard to find? Is it so hard? I mean, everyone will say that last year was the quarterback year, but no one heard of Mahomes going into his senior year. Right. No one heard of Goff. Right. And even Carson Wentz's team didn't really think that Carson Wentz was going to be in the first round right. going, into, going into the year. The Oregon quarterback, at least for the first half, yep. looked, looked, looked really, really good. You know, again, it, it's, it's transition, and we're calling them running backs, but does it make a difference? Like, Gronk was a tight end. But he created a nat- matchup nightmare, and we looked at you know the New England Patriots last night. Well, so going to, and going to Gronk, yes, matchup nightmares are huge, and the Giants have every weapon, every box checked off, weapon, 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 except for the quarterback. And we're going to find out how hard it is to find that quarterback. Now, the Patriots found two. They found Tom Brady, and they found Jimmy Garoppolo, who they were able to ship off to San Francisco. Tom Brady has been the old-school mentality, old-school style of quarterback for a very long time, and obviously at an unprecedented level of success. For at that point in the seemingly semi-annual September tradition of, are the Patriots done? They're 1-2, and two, blown out against Jacksonville, blown out against Detroit. Do you believe this is the end of the era for the Patriots, or just a misstep? I think that there's something off. I think there's been something off since... And again, we don't really know what Belichick was offered for Garoppolo, but everybody seemed to be talking about number one picks going into this season. He winds up trading him for a number two pick to San Francisco. We know we have figured out using the tea leaves that he wanted to keep Garoppolo and let Brady go, and Robert Kraft said no. Right. So you get the crazy story about the trainer on the plane, off the plane. You get the rumors that he wants to go to the, the Giants. You see him letting Amendola go. You hear last night that Gronk was going to be traded, traded to Detroit, yeah. which maybe is, is smart. You know, he has a lot of miles on his speedometer. He's taken more hits. He's had, we could have talked about his back surgery, and he seems to always come back. But it, and then even look at last week. Josh Gordon hasn't played in five years. That's kind of like a somewhat desperate, you know, move. I wonder if they are on the phone talking about Levin Bell right now. Um, So it just seems that, and and then also the fact that Josh McDaniel had signed with Indianapolis 
and now becomes the hair successor sure. already in place. There just seems to be something wrong there. And uh, I, I think that if I had to guess, you know, one of their salvages is we still don't believe in the Miami Dolphins. The Jets are a one and two football team. And Buffalo is a 17-point underdog going into Minnesota yesterday. So there is the salvage position. Nine and seven may get it done in that division. They'll be much better than nine and seven. To me, this is, this is very obviously a misstep, right? Like, let, let's go over their losses. In week two, down to a Jacksonville team, Jacksonville's home opener, in a game that oh, that's Jacksonville's season was right there. And you saw that when they lost to Tennessee a week later, right? They had planned since last year when they lost in the Ace Championship game after being up at halftime, all they needed to do was beat the Patriots, and they did. And they had everything going against them, and Jacksonville won. Fine. Week three, facing their old defensive coordinator, who Bill Belichick has admitted knows them better than any person on this planet. Into Detroit on a Sunday night, all the motivation in the world for Detroit. Got it. Next week, Patriots, Dolphins. Dolphins are 3-0. and Patriots have lost two in a row. No-brainer. The Patriots will win this easily. Easily. And if they don't, you change your tune? Depends how the game goes. Because, because remember the last time these two teams faced each other, or I don't know if it was last time, but Monday Night Football last December, Dolphins home game, Dolphins smacked the Patriots. There's a little motivation there, too. Well, the eye test that I saw, and I think Edelman may make all the difference, sure. but I, I, don't think he's, I think he's gone for four weeks. He'll be back in two weeks. That's right. I think he's gone. For, I think that I would agree with you 95% sure. of the time. Sure. But the eye test told me last night that they didn't have a great back and they didn't have any receivers. Sure. And I think that there is only so much that you can scheme. And the personnel just didn't look like it was there last night. Totally agree with that, and I see what you're saying, but we have seen the Patriots go through these bef- these times before, and we've said the same things, and they've always figured it out, and I know there's no analysis there of any sort, there's no information there of any sort, but as Bill Belichick said last night, it's September, nobody's eliminated from the playoffs yet, nobody's made the playoffs yet. And he, he's absolutely right. But Edelman replaced... Um, 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 th- Edelman replaced Wal- Wes Walker. <laughs> yes, Wes Walker. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely perfectly. They added Amendola. Right. This was the first time I didn't see that slot receiver. I didn't see... Well, what's interesting is that Philip Dorsett's the slot receiver. He doesn't get it done. Chris Hogan, they've moved on the outside, and he really was successful last year as a slot receiver. So, you know, with Josh Gordon, maybe Hogan goes back in the inside. Maybe Julian Edelman comes back, and all is well, well again. I think Julian Edelman will make a huge, huge difference. Sure. I mean, he, he, he just knows how to sit down in zones. He's, Absolutely. He, he's Brady's safety guy. And Definitely. That's what was, seemed to be missing last night. You know, Brady didn't have where he, he wanted to go, go with his ball. The ball, but it's. I think that this time is a little bit different. I think they're going to be salvaged by the division being so weak. Okay, um, but I think it's 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 different, and you know, it, it leads to a transition. What do you think is going to happen with Le'Veon Bell? You know, I think Le'Veon Bell is really really interesting, and we've talked about him from a fantasy perspective all day long, right? In that, if you own James Conner and you own Le'Veon Bell, you may hit the jackpot because they actually trade Le'Veon Bell. Now you get two potential RB ones. What Le'Veon Bell did from the beginning, it made sense to me, right? You're putting your body on the line. You don't, before your free agency year, you don't want to screw anything up. But he's had injury issues in the past. I get it. But the exact opposite of what he wanted to happen has happened. As James Conner has been very successful in both of the first two weeks, making you think, wow, maybe this is a little bit more scheme-related than we initially thought. And Le'Veon Bell, while a great running back, is he really worth 
the millions and millions and millions of dollars? The answer to that question, maybe yes. Maybe he's like Saquon Barkley. and he, uh, he is, He's not, by the way. He's, he's not. He, not in my opinion. Really? I think he's a great back. I think he's a great receiver. I don't think he has the explosiveness. Interesting, because he's been in the league a lot longer. He's been in the league a lot longer, but I don't think he has the what Saquon Barkley did on, against Jacksonville, taking it to the house. I think, I think Saquon Barkley is that receiver that can go out and catch the ball. I think Le'Veon Bell is a great receiver. I think he's a very good back. He's a very patient back, but he has to run behind a good offensive line. I don't think he has that explosiveness that Gurley or or, or So I don't has. know. I don't know if I'll agree with that. Do you believe it's scheme with the Steelers? Then the, one of the reasons Bell's been so successful. Well, I mean, I think they have a you know they have a very a very good line that they, they yeah, did absolutely. They have perhaps the best receiver in football. Sure, um, two of them. And and you know again, I think most people are going to look back on the fact of having the quarterback and the killer bees. You know. Uh, Brown and Bell and not making it past the Patriots has been right. a, 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 a being a disappointment. I think that the, the Bell thing is fascinating from a different standpoint to me, which is from a business standpoint, you have a back that has taken a lot of hits. Why not franchise him twice? As you say, he's not certainly from a business standpoint. And then from Le'Veon Bell's standpoint, I remember DeMarco Murray being in the same situation. I think the Cowboys gave him the ball 15 million times. and He was great. You know, he, he did get a contract with Philadelphia, yes. but he was never the same guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Bell, people he say Bell Bell's making $885,000 a game. Right. Okay. But he wants to keep as many miles off of the Absolutely. speedometer as possible. And now, how do you play that if you're... Pittsburgh, are you going to let him walk in in week nine? Are you going to trade him now? And then, by the way, if you trade him, it's not like you can be signed. He has to play for the the franchise franchise fee. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't play nine games, he's not a free agent. Well, he has to play, is it it nine games? It's He has to play more than half the the season to be a free agent. Or Pittsburgh can release him. Right. So I, I think it's a really, really strong question. Um, only Pittsburgh knows where they are in their negotiations, right? They know how close they are. And I completely- well, it's not a negotiation anymore. No, I, I understand it. But they ultimately know what, they ultimately know what Le'Veon wants. If they, think they're, if they think they're going to re-sign him or have a chance to re-sign him. I don't think they have any plans on re-signing if you have no, if they, him. I think they, 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 they can't. So if, if you're telling me they have zero plans on re-signing him after the season when they can, right. then you trade him for whatever you can get right now. That's and, it. And, and, and you know, because now, you, have pr- realize, you have proven, you, I mean, I know they're 0-2, but James Conner's been fantastic. Now, the team that trades for him can't re- sign him either. Correct. He has to play for the $14 million Correct. franchise fee at eight, you know, and come in or else he's not a free agent. Correct. Or that team, unless that team releases him. Right. 100%. Which, which, you know, the Giants, honestly, from a business standpoint, could have played it the same way with Beckham, but it would have been very, very distracted to their team. Well, Beckham, and, and listen, the Giants with Beckham essentially said, you show up, we'll be more likely to pay you. And he showed up, and they were more likely to pay him, and they did. With Le'Veon Bell, I have to assume he felt like he wasn't close to getting paid, so he said, screw it. Well, he, he, they had already franchised him. They 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 couldn't. Well, they could. Him. They could. Ex- they could still extend him until a certain date. I forget what that date was. Yeah, they but, they could have, but they let that date pass. Yes. O- o- over the summer. Correct. 
And, and you know, again, one of the things I think is really, really important for, for everyone to understand is that you don't want the 53 best players. You want the 53 best players that come in at $187 million. You have to have a certain budget for positions, and that takes us over to Jimmy Butler right now, who who is supposed to be getting traded in, in, in the next... Yeah, and I think it's a perfect transition to Jimmy Butler, where you have a guy holding out, and it's you know, cost him a lot of money. We'll see ultimately how much it costs him when he gets his next contract, whenever that is, to Jimmy Butler, who didn't demand a trade out of Chicago, but would have liked to leave with a rebuilding team for the Bulls and really wanted to go play for Tom Thibodeau again. He had his best years under Tibbs in Chicago and really wanted to make it happen, and Tibbs wanted him. There was a whole love affair, and that love affair lasted a year. Right. And now Butler wants out of Minnesota, where he has basically said, I am not resigning here. I'm gone. Now, this happens a lot, right? Carmelo Anthony did the same thing in Denver. I'm not resigning here. I'm gone. Chris Paul did the same thing with the Hornets. I'm not signing here. I'm gone. But neither of those players held out. They said, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my job. But just letting you know, I'm not going to resign with you. What Jimmy Butler has done is take it to another level. What do you think about that? Well, number one, I think it, it, it's going to, to it, it's changing right now. And, and, you know, Kawhi Leonard, and we could discuss whether he, sure. all of a sudden he's very healthy with a, with a, with a, with a very, very strange injury. So, I mean, I think that was kind of a, a, a forced thing. But my question, I think one thing I have with Jimmy Butler is, let's even, you know, people bring Jimmy Butler up in the Knicks and the Clippers and, and the Nets. That's where he yeah. wants to go, yeah. That's where he wants to go. You know, I wouldn't want him if I'm the Knicks. I, I wouldn't want to, the contingent of giving him a max contract at 35. I don't think he's worth $40 million a year. We now, can make that case. So, so you can make that case about a lot of players. Where I am as a Knicks or a Nets or a Clippers fan, if you know that you were one of the three teams that Jimmy Butler wants to go to and the Knicks went through this with Carmelo Anthony, why trade assets away? Wait a year. Exactly right. But even then, okay, even then... Do I want to give him, well, the answer to your, your question is that he wants to go because it's the difference between 140 and $190 million. But that, oh, I get it. But it's also assets for the team that have to go get him. Right. So that means you can get him really on, on the cheap. Let, let's even say it's something ridiculous like Courtney Lee. You know, he comes right in. I think it's a downside. First of all, Porzingis is out for the year. You can't compete. Your best chance to compete in the NBA is to get lucky and get the next whoever. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you know that, that transcendental player. You know, of course. Maybe Anthony Davis may be coming. You, it, it, get it, lucky. You know, get the next LeBron, get lucky. That's how you win in the NBA. Usually, that player comes higher on the draft. So if I'm with the Knicks and I'm looking at no pausing this till February, okay, at the bare minimum, I think I want to be get the next Joel Embiid. I don't want Jimmy well, then, Butler and be 41 and 41 and then have to max sign him. Well, and, that, and that's the case, right? With as, as I said, with the Knicks, with the Nets, with the Clippers, who, let's be real, have no aspirations for the playoffs this year. You build and build and build through the draft, and then free agents will want to come to you. If you find a nice draft pick, you get lucky, you get a top five pick or something like that this in this next year— Jimmy Butler still may come, and you give up nothing, and you sign him. Maybe you want Jimmy Butler, maybe you don't, but you leave the options open. It is all about options. Now, a team like the 76ers— Or Toronto. 
Or Toronto, absolutely. Yeah, Toronto with, Kawhi, they, with Kawhi Leonard. I get it. It's a little bit different. They have championship aspirations right now. If they believe Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard in that case pushes them over the edge, you got to do it. You go for your championship. I get it. But if you're not there, if you're not at the precipice of a potential title, you don't do it. And I don't think Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, is, the is, guy. is a max $40 million player. Right. And, and now... Is Jimmy Butler worlds better than anything that the Knicks are playing? Absolutely. That's not the question. <laughs> sure. But, but, you know, again, I, I, the question is, what's the goal? Is the goal to get to the playoffs or is the goal to be competitive for a championship? And I think, uh, you know, right now in the NBA, the goal should be to be competitive for a championship, even if that means taking a step backwards to get there. Yeah, and I think... We have seen that with the process in Philadelphia, where it was not always smooth, where you had to take lump after lump after lump, but there is nothing worse in the NBA than finishing 41 and 41, where you finish with the 13th pick and you can't get better. And I think the Knicks and Nets have figured that out in recent years, where the Nets bottomed out after the the worst trade in NBA history, where the Knicks traded asset after asset away to be mediocre. These Teams have finally started to figure it out. And I think because of that, the Jimmy Butler market will be really interesting to see. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting that season tickets with Porzingis out, Knox coming in, basically no backcourt when you look at it on a competitive basis. Season tickets are actually increased in Madison Square Garden, which goes to show that New York will allow an exciting young team. We, they don't want to see has-beens. And I think that you know, there's always hope with, with something young. There's always hope. And there's always hope in the future with prospects, baseball, football, basketball. There's this myth in New York that New York can't deal with rebuild. That, that's simply false. If you show them that hope, if you say, you look at baseball, right, with, with prospects, with guys like a judge or, in the, uh, or for the Mets, with the Harveys and the Wheelers, where you knew these guys were coming, you're just like, wow, this team's going to be this in the future. You get excited and you grow together and you build together. And I think there's nothing better than watching a young team, exciting team, build together. And, and wherever, not look, just look, 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 Atlanta clinched yesterday. Sure. And, and, How great was that? And, and, and everybody had Washington and the Mets. The Mets, which is a conversation for a whole other day. Absolutely. I mean, that is really a hard thing because you have the pitching, but you really have so many holes. Do you trade the pitching and go all the way backwards? And they have absolutely nothing in the farm system. Nothing. Or do you say we have the pitching, let's patch it together and hope that everyone stays healthy for so, one year? So the problem is... When it came to pitching, for the most part, everyone stayed healthy this year. Wheeler, Matt, and DeGrom were healthy all year long. So, uh, Syndergaard, right. obviously, on and off the DL. The problem is that patchwork that you're talking about, they, they chose the wrong band-aids. They chose these guys that weren't in their primes. The Jay Bruce that's like kind of past it. Todd Frazier, very past it. Adrian Gonzalez in a retirement home, right? These are the guys they went out and signed instead of going out and really going for it, really going after a guy like a Mike Moustakis who didn't really cost all that much this year. They, did, they just did it wrong, Doc. They, they also didn't see the trend in baseball. We're no, going back not. to athletes. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, we, we made this comparison. Baseball players are going to be more athletic. Yeah. You know, Brian Cashman made that point about the Yankees a few years ago. They had to become more athletic. Is there, was there a less athletic team 
than anybody ever put put on the the no. thing. But some closing closing questions sure. as we go. Degrom Cy Young or not Cy Young? I don't think he wins it. No, okay. I think Blake Snell will win it in the AL. I don't think Degrom wins it in the NL. I think Who do you think Max Scherzer will win it? Okay. You know, I, I I'm a big Degrom fan. I give him credit for pitching. But w- the one problem I have is that more you can say the Mets stunk, which is a valid statement. But actually, they had in their division the best record from July first on. But it's hard to give the Cy Young Award when you don't have the most wins on your team. I mean, to me, as it, great as that under three run record is, under two run, it's unbelievable. Oh, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the record is. Gotcha. You know, I think, I think. Most, most consecutive most consecutive games will allow any three runs or less. Also, last week we talked about you know how Derek Jeter is still the face of baseball and yeah. retired, and mm-hmm. it, it may tell you what's going on in sports. I mean, originally the most greatest, best known athletes were people like Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth transcended and. Baseball doesn't seem to have it. Tiger Woods, okay, has it been five years since he's won a tournament? Front page on the paper. Right. Will there ever be a golfer that's as big a name as Tiger Woods ever again? No. Or do you think that golf is also having some of the issues we spoke about baseball? You know, it's interesting. You mentioned before on the program that people on the front page of the paper, the front page of, of ESPN.com, wherever you're looking in social media, you see Tiger Woods, and he transcends everything. And people don't necessarily know a Jordan Spieth or a Rory McIlroy or Dustin Johnson because they're just like, you know, in all honesty. Great golfers. Great golfers, <laughs> but your average white dude, right? In, in all honesty. Tiger Woods was different. Tiger Woods was special, and he was transcendent. I don't think there's another Tiger Woods. I agree with you. See you next week. There you go. For Mitchell Roslin, I am Greg Sussman. Thank you so much for checking out Doc Jock here on the Fantasy Sports Network. It's been an absolute blast. I want to thank Dr. John Oren, who joined us, uh, and we'll be back again next week on the show. Uh, it's been, like I said, an absolute blast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Greg Sussman. Doc, you have Twitter? I got to sign up for Twitter. <laughs> he's got to sign up for Twitter. But there you go. It's Dr. Mitchell Roslin. This has been awesome. It's Doc Jock, Fantasy Sports Network. We'll see you next time. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day.